You are listening to the podcast of Providence Church in Austin, Texas. We hope this message raises your affections for Jesus and helps you live out the gospel in everyday life. I am uh, a mama's boy. I love my mom, and I'm the youngest child, and so obviously I'm my mother's favorite son. And my mom and I have always been really close, but I have a really clear memory of when I was probably six or seven years old of lying to my mom. And my mom's not here, but I know she's going to listen to the podcast. So before I tell this story, I need to say, Mom, I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. My mom had dragged me to what I think was a women's event at our church, and I did not want to be there. And I remember as the event dragged on, I remember the impatience just building inside of me until I just couldn't take it anymore. I decided, all right, I'm going to do it. The oldest trick in the book, fake being sick. So I put my, my best sick face on. I went up to mom. I was like, mom, I feel terrible. We need to go home. And of course, she took me home. But I remember throughout the, the rest of that day, the guilt in my conscience growing inside of me. Until that night, I was lying in bed and waiting for my mom to come in to say goodnight. And I remember wishing that she wouldn't. See, my, my guilty conscience had made me afraid to face my mother. And I, I wouldn't have been able to articulate this then, but I, I can see now that that my sin made me afraid to be close to the one who loved me the most. You know, this is a feeling that I think we all know, we can all relate to. We've all experienced the way that our sin drives us away from those that we've sinned against. Uh, And it it makes us hide, it makes us run and, and cover up. And the same thing happens in our relationship with God. It happened to Adam and Eve in the garden. They, they hid from God and they covered their shame. It happened to, to King David. He, he kept silent and wasted away. And it happens to us. Our sin drives us away from God. We're going to look at something similar happen here in Exodus 19. And even though this is a heavy passage, it's actually one I'm really excited about for two reasons. The first is this. According to Moses, what happens in Exodus 19 is the greatest thing that had ever happened since God created humanity, which is a big statement. In Deuteronomy 4, Moses says to the people, ask now about the former days, long before your time, from the day God created human beings on the earth. Has anything so great as this ever happened? Or has anything like it ever been heard of? Has any other people heard the voice of God speaking out of fire as you have and lived? I mean, let's not miss how incredible what happens here is. The holy God of the universe, the God the Bible calls a consuming fire, comes down on earth. And and his people, people like you and people like me, who are imperfect, who are are fickle and grumbling and, and complaining people, those people meet him. And they survive. By, by some special act of God's mercy, sinful people stood before a holy God. And they, they experienced his, his glory and his majesty, and, and they aren't instantaneously consumed. That's what, that's what Moses thought was the greatest thing that had ever happened. And this is, leads me to the second thing that makes me so excited about this passage. I think this passage gives us insight into an incredibly important question, which is this. 
how do we approach a holy God? This passage tells us how. And before we get to what the text says about it, I want us to see what makes this question so important. And we've been looking at at the first 18 chapters of the book of Exodus. And these chapters have told the story of God's saving work for the nation of Israel. You know, he, he rescued them and delivered them from slavery, but that's not where the story ends. You know, their, their salvation from slavery was not an end in itself. It was actually only a means to a much greater end. See, God rescued the Israelites from slavery so that he might bring them into relationship with him. We see God say this here in verse 4. He says to the Israelites, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. So the point is this, the purpose of salvation is life with, relationship with, communion with God. And so if, if our conception of salvation doesn't involve bringing us close to God, then we don't understand salvation. And King David said, said, better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. So this is what we want. We want to be close to God. We want to be in the presence of God. And God saves us so that we would feel like being close to God is better than being absolutely anywhere else. So if the purpose of our salvation is getting close to God, then I, I can't imagine a question more important for us to wrestle with than how do we approach him? How do we approach that God? And this is a question that I, for one, desperately need an answer to. Because I think if I look at the way that I relate to God, I think so often it reveals that I have no idea how to approach him. You know, I want to be close to God. And I I want that relationship, that intimate relationship with God that I see other people have. But at times, the prospect of actually approaching God is terrifying. It's scary. And it's because my conscience is burdened by my sin and my failures and my imperfections. And I feel inadequate. My burdened conscience makes me afraid to be close to, close to God, the one who loves me the most. So instead of approaching God, I avoid him. And I let my, my Bible just gather dust on the desk beside my bed. If you were to ask me, say, Kason, what's the deal, man? You know, why, why aren't you reading your Bible? Why aren't you praying? Why aren't you going to God? I, and I'd probably say, you know, the typical excuses. Like, ah, you know, I've just been busy. I've been distracted by other things. But I think the reality a lot of the times is that my burdened conscience makes approaching God a terrifying prospect. You know, a lot of the times it makes me feel like going to God is, is only going to add weight to a weighed-down conscience. And maybe you've been there, and maybe you're there right now. Maybe you came to church this afternoon feeling the weight of a burdened conscience. Wouldn't it be great if God told you how you are to approach him? Well, here in Exodus 19, God gives Moses instructions, instructions about what needs to happen in order for his people to meet him. We're going to look at these instructions because they show us what needs to happen for us to approach God, but we're also going to look at these instructions because they show us what makes the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus worth rejoicing in. 
So here are three things that we see from this passage that the Israelites need in order to encounter the holiness of God and live. They need to be consecrated, and they need a mediator, and they also need to keep their distance. So we're going to look at each of these in turn and and see what they mean for us. So in order to approach God, the Israelites needed to be consecrated. Look, Look at verses 10 and 11. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. So for sinful people to encounter a holy God and not be consumed by him, they need to be consecrated. Something needs to be done that makes them holy, that makes them acceptable to God. And if you were an Israelite, I'm sure you would feel your need for something to be done before you approach God. You know, imagine you're an Israelite and Moses comes down from Mount Sinai and he says, hey, so uh, I just met with God. You know who I'm talking about, right? This is the God who, who brought all those terrible plagues down on Egypt. Oh, this is the, the same God who, who parted the Red Sea and then completely annihilate, annihilated the most powerful army on earth. Oh yeah, this is the same God who really not too long ago you were grumbling against in the wilderness because you were hungry and you didn't trust that he was going to feed you. Yeah, yeah, that God. He just told me that in three days he's going to come down here and he wants to meet you. Man, how would you respond? I I think for me, my first thought would be like, oh man, this might not go well for me. (laughs) And I think I have good reason for thinking that that's how I would respond because I think that's kind of how I think about approaching God even now. You know, I, I, I feel the weight of my conscience and it makes me think that, that meeting with God might not be such a good idea for me. I, I feel that something needs to be done before I can approach God. And the truth is that something does need to be done. The mistake that I make, however, is thinking that that's something that needs to be done is something that I need to do. And I I think that in order to approach God, I need to clean my act up. I need to make myself holy. I need to make myself righteous. And I think this is actually, probably for a lot of us, the biggest barrier to actually approaching God. We keep on thinking, oh yeah, we'll, we'll go to God once we clean up this one area of our life that we're a little bit ashamed of. You know, we'll go to God once we're just a little bit more righteous. And the problem, of course, is that we never feel quite clean enough. I want you to notice that God doesn't tell the people to consecrate themselves. He tells Moses to consecrate them. Consecration is something that is done to them. And what a relief that would be if you were an Israelite. And God has made a way for you to be made clean. He's made a way for you to be acceptable in his sight. He's made a way for your sin to be dealt with. This is so important for us to understand. We can approach God because God has done something to us. The text here isn't explicit about exactly what Moses does to consecrate them, but, but based upon what the word means elsewhere in the book of Exodus, the most likely explanation is that he performs some type of animal sacrifice. A sacrifice is what God is always 
required as, as the basis for inviting sinful people into his presence. And it's no different for us, even today, even right now, except that we've been consecrated by blood far more precious than the blood of animals. We've been consecrated by the blood of Jesus. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, in order that he might bring us to God. This is the very heart of the gospel. Jesus died to bring us to God. And if we're united to Christ by faith, by faith, it is cosmically impossible for you to make yourself any more acceptable before God. And that is good news. So we need to stop avoiding God and hiding from God until we clean ourselves up a little bit more. And we need to start resting in the fact that God has made us clean by the blood of Jesus. Not only do the Israelites need to be consecrated, they also need a mediator. They need someone to to stand in between them and God. And Moses' role in this account is, is really important. Moses brings the word of God to the people and he brings God to the people and brings the people to God. And the Israelites most definitely felt their need for a mediator. In chapter 20, right after this event, it says that when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the mountains smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and they said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. And the people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. See, Moses is the link between a holy God and sinful people. And it's obvious from what we just heard, from the way that the Israelites respond to what they saw, that unmediated holiness is unbearable. It's terrifying. It's terror-inducing. And the Israelites would have been totally unable to, to bear this encounter with God without Moses to, to stand in between them and God, to, to fulfill this, this role of the priest, to represent them before God. I was, a, I was a shy and awkward middle school kid. The, the prospect of meeting new people, especially important people, was like not at all something I was comfortable with. When I was in middle school, my favorite thing on the entire planet was the University of Florida football team. I was crazy about it, obsessed with it. I would wear Florida Gator t-shirts to school five days out of the school week, every single week. It was an obsession. And at that time, my older brother Matt was on the team. And so we would go down to the games, and after the games, we would go down to the locker room, and my brother, knowing what a big deal all these players were, would, would go and take me and introduce me to his teammates. These guys were my heroes. It was the coolest thing to get to meet these guys. And I would go back to school and brag to all my friends about it. But these were like big, intimidating dudes. And I was a scrawny, dorky, 13-year-old kid. Like some of these guys could have swallowed me alive, like physically consumed me if they wanted to. But I got to meet them and it was the coolest thing. But the only reason I was able to meet them was because I met them with my brother, Matt. You know, I I needed someone with special access to take me to these guys. But even if I had access to them, I would never have had the confidence to introduce myself to these guys. 
but I had confidence to go to them because I went with my brother, Matt. See, if we're going to approach God, we need to go to him with someone who has special access, a special relationship with God. And in Jesus, we have a mediator way better than Moses. Hebrews 3 explains that Moses had access to God as a faithful servant in his house. But Jesus has access to God as God's only son. And so if our faith is in Christ, we never have to go to God alone. Hebrews 9 says that Jesus has entered into heaven to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. So when we approach God, we don't come alone. We, we actually come with Jesus and Jesus by our side. And he says, hey, hey, this one is with me. I want you to hear these words from Hebrews 7. Hebrews seven twenty five. just let these words sink in. It says, Jesus is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. And I think this could have a powerful and maybe even a really practical impact on how I think about approaching God, how I think about reading my Bible and praying, and even, even the mindset that I have when I come to church. And because I think one of the reasons that I don't come to God is because my guilty conscience makes me think that, that God is against me, that I'm not worthy of his acceptance or his favor, his blessing in my life. But knowing that Jesus himself is standing in the presence of God on my behalf, that he's interceding for me, man, why would I not go to God with confidence, not because of anything in myself, but purely because I go to God with Jesus? To approach God, the Israelites needed to be consecrated. And they needed a mediator. And God, in his grace, gives these things to them through Moses. I think there remains a certain incompleteness in them. See, the blood that they're consecrated with, it's only the blood of animals. And and their mediator, he's only a servant in God's house. And so they get another command. And the command is this. God tells them to keep their distance. Look at verse 4. I mean, verse 12, rather. It says, And you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. You might remember Moses' encounter with God at the burning bush. God calls out to Moses from the burning bush, but then he says not to draw near. He wants a relationship with Moses, but there's a certain reality of God's holiness, of the fact that God is a consuming fire, and so he tells Moses to stand back. And here at Mount Sinai, God wants to be with his people, but for their own safety, he tells them to keep their distance. And so God has Moses build barriers at the foot of the mountain so that the people know not to get too close. But once the people hear the thunder... And once they see the lightning and once they see the fire and the smoke and once they feel the mountain shaking beneath their feet, those barriers that Moses built, they, they don't seem all that necessary. These people are terrified. They're physically trembling in fear. They want to run away. You know, they're in awe of God, but they definitely don't want to get too close. It's dangerous. I think this 
strikes me as similar to the way that I and, and maybe many of us relate to God. You know, we, we believe in God. We might even be in awe of God, but we don't want to get too close. You know, so, so we, we're comfortable relating to God from a, from a distance. So we come to church and we sing the songs. We maintain a comfortable level of detachment in our hearts. We might confess our sins to God or, or even to each other, but we kind of cloak our confessions in some ambiguity. We don't want to be too particular. So we want to get close to God. Yeah, sure, that sounds great, but we don't want to get too close. Listen, the Israelites were consecrated by the blood of animals, and they had a mediator in Moses, and they got to see God at a distance and live, which Moses said was one of the greatest things that had ever happened in human history. But I want you to hear this. The message of the gospel is so much greater than that. So we've been consecrated not by the blood of animals, but by the blood of Jesus, who's the very son of God. And we have a mediator, not Moses, who's just a servant in God's house, but our mediator is Jesus, the very son of God. Listen to this. Jesus didn't die so that we could relate to God from a distance. He died so that we could come close to God. And therefore, the command that the Israelites received to keep their distance is replaced by a new command that we see all over the New Testament, which is this, draw near to God. And God told Moses at the burning bush to, keep, to stand back. And he tells the, the Israelites at Mount Sinai to keep their distance, but he tells us because of what, a, what Jesus has done for us, and because we go to God with Jesus, he tells us to draw near, enter in, come close, be close to God. Man, that's incredible. I want you to turn your Bibles to Hebrews 10. There's, there's Bibles in the pews. I, I really want you to be able to see this for yourself. There's, if you grab one of those black Bibles— and turn to page 198 in the New Testament. We're going to look at Hebrews 10, 19 through 22. I am a, a grammar nerd. I, got, I have a weird passion for like a well-crafted sentence. I know it's kind of strange, but I love a good sentence. And I just want to share that passion with you because this sentence, Hebrews, 19, Hebrews 10, 19 through 22, is one sentence. And it's one of my favorite in the Bible. And it sums up everything I'm trying to say. So if you look at it, I think it's awesome. This sentence is fundamentally a command. But before you get to the command, there's two clauses that start with the word since. And these two clauses are both reasons why we should do the command. So let's look at this closely. Verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since, reason number one, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus— by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. Pause right there. What does that mean? Since we have confidence to enter the holy places, since we have confidence to go to God by the blood of Jesus, since the death of Jesus has made a way for us to be acceptable to God. This is the language of of consecration. It's saying since we've been consecrated by the blood of Jesus, since we've been set apart as his people, since we've been made acceptable in his sight by his death. Let's go on. 
verse 21, and since, reason number two, since we have a great priest over the house of God. What does that mean? Reason number two for for doing what this verse is about to tell us to do is that we have a, a great priest. We have someone who's able to represent us before God, someone who's able to stand between God and us, someone who's able to take us to God. We have a mediator, and that's Jesus. So since we've been consecrated by the blood of Jesus, and since we have a mediator in Jesus capable of taking, to God, taking us to God, let's go on. Verse 22, let's draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Man, that is an awesome sentence. It's so awesome. This is what that sentence means. It means that there's no longer any need for us to keep our distance. God has made us a way for us to approach him. Jesus' death, his death has washed our hearts clean from the guilt in our, our conscience. And his resurrection means that he's in the presence of God interceding on our behalf. This sentence means that because of Jesus... We can come to God, we can approach God with no less awe and no less reverence than the Israelites at the foot of Mount Sinai. But instead of fear, we can come to him with confidence and boldness. The sentence means that because of Jesus, we can replace our our fear of approaching God with a fear of missing out on even one more second of being with God. So let's stop just trying to relate to God from a distance. Let's draw near. Jesus has left us with no excuse not to. So if you want to draw near today, this afternoon, what do you do? Where do you start? You start by simply coming to him in faith. In a, in a moment, we're going to come and we're going to take communion. So I invite you to to come and eat and drink of Jesus by faith. We're going to take communion, but we're also going to sing. So I invite you to sing, to rejoice in the fact that God has made a way for you to come into his presence with a true heart in full assurance of faith. So come enter God's presence, trusting that Jesus has made a way for you to do that. I want to close the words of John Newton. John Newton was, he was the captain of a slave ship in the 1700s. He was making a living exploiting other people. He was living in sin and indifference to God. When, when he, while he was aboard his slave ship, he had a near-death experience that, that led him to cry out to God for mercy. And he became a pastor and a hymn writer And he would later greatly regret his involvement in the slave trade. John Newton was a man who intimately knew what it was like to have a guilty conscience. But he was also a man who intimately knew what it was like to have a guilty conscience washed clean by the blood of Jesus. And I think that's what made the hymns that he wrote, hymns like Amazing Grace, so powerful. When John Noon was reflecting on this scene in Exodus 19, he wrote these words, which I think just sum up perfectly how we ought to respond to this passage. 
He wrote this, Let us love and sing and wonder. Let us praise the Savior's name. He has hushed the law's loud thunder. He has quenched Mount Sinai's flame. He has washed us with his blood. He has brought us nigh to God. This is the gospel. Jesus has died for our sins so that he might bring us close to God. To use the words of Moses, has anything so great as this ever happened? Or has anything like it ever been heard of? Let's pray. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Providence Church. For more resources and info, visit us online at www.providenceaustin.com.